A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near to the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us when he was talking to us on the road while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. They had heard the good news. The women had done what they were supposed to do. They went to the disciples and passed along the message they received from the angels. Christ is risen. But the men, they didn't respond with that joyful, Christ is risen indeed. They responded by mumbling nonsense. They had heard the good news, but they did not listen. They did not trust that it could be true. So while it was still Easter, these two disciples took off for Emmaus. We aren't given any reason for the journey. I reckon they just wanted to book out of Jerusalem as fast as their little legs would take them. 
Now here's the funny thing about Emmaus. Some biblical scholars don't even think it existed, ever. Not just now, but ever. To be on the road to Emmaus is to be on the road to nowhere. Now, I've never been to the Holy Land, but I've still managed to walk a few miles on the road to Emmaus. It's the road of grief, of defeat, of disappointment so profound, it doesn't even matter which direction you walk. Emmaus is nowhere, and so Emmaus can be anywhere. Now, Peter Kreeft once said that in an age of hope, men looked up at the night sky and saw the heavens. In an age of hopelessness, they simply call it space. On the road to Emmaus, the disciples journeyed under a canopy of space. The pair of forlorn disciples talked as they walked, struggling to make sense of the gruesome violence that had robbed them of the Savior, of the Messiah. Or, we should say, the one they thought was the Messiah. When a stranger joined them on the road, they recounted their devastation. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. It's such a sad statement. There is little worse than dashed hope. I'm reminded of a mournful article I read in the newspaper several years ago now, about a small town in Ohio that had hoped for over a thousand days that their hometown boy was still alive somewhere in the Middle East. He'd been captured by insurgents and held hostage. Even though they were given every reason to believe that he was dead, they had hoped. They had hoped so stubbornly that when his body was finally recovered and returned home to them during Holy Week, their grief was sharpened by genuine surprise. They had hoped, and their hopes were crushed by the ways of war. Such was the grief and hopelessness felt by these disciples as their sandaled feet pounded the pavement to Emmaus. They had hoped that this Jesus was going to save them and all the people of Israel. But this hope had made them fools, because messiahs don't die on crosses like common criminals. All the power of his words and deeds hadn't saved their prophet. And so on the third day, since he was betrayed, abandoned, forsaken, and crucified, They had little energy left for the idle tales of some grief-crazed women. The stranger on the road had a lot to say to them in return. He confirmed that they were fools, but not because they'd been taken in by a false prophet, but because they had turned their backs on a true one. How slow of heart you are, the stranger said, and tried once more to tell them the story of God's stubborn and persistent love. He dug deep into holy scriptures to point out that their hope might be rescued after all. They and the people of Israel might be rescued after all. At nightfall, when the disciples had reached their destination, the stranger started to go on, but the disciples were still filled with all kinds of good lessons about hospitality and compassion, 
They had had a mighty fine teacher, you know. And so they invited the stranger to stay with them for the evening. Now, I'm always kind of glad at this point that we know what's going on here, that our good narrator let us in on the sacred secret. The stranger on the road to Emmaus was the risen Christ. The failed Messiah these men were mourning was walking right beside him, Jesus himself in the flesh. But the men just couldn't recognize him until he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. Only then did they realize that the testimony of the women was true. Only then did they realize that their sluggish hearts had been burning all along. Only then did they have the courage to believe in something as wild as resurrection. No matter that the stranger vanished as soon as they figured out his identity. I like that part too. Whoop, gone. They had encountered their Lord around the table. Christ is risen indeed. I suspect many of us relate to these men. We may have heard the story, but we can't quite reach beyond our skeptical fear that it may well be nonsense. After all, we weren't part of that minuscule minority who actually encountered the physical presence of Jesus. We weren't there to see the stone rolled away from the tomb or to hear the angelic message. We weren't weeping in the garden only to hear the gardener whisper our name. We weren't quaking for fear in a locked room when Jesus came and stood among them, speaking words of peace. We weren't halfway to nowhere when Jesus himself showed up in the guise of a stranger. We weren't there. And yet, we are dared to believe the witness of a handful of men and women, most of which were of questionable integrity, it is more reasonable to cling to the laws of nature. That which is dead stays dead, literally and metaphorically. If we weren't there, how can we believe? How can we hope? Living without hope is a frightening thing. I could hardly bear to read the newspaper if I had abandoned my hope at the foot of the cross. But we can't hope if we don't trust. We need to trust that God is at work in the world, coaxing this broken yet beloved creation toward reconciliation. We need to trust that divine forgiveness and peace and healing are displacing the sin and war and sickness we experience on earth. Such trust isn't really something that you can just decide to have, especially if you, like me, tend to be a bit slow-hearted, a bit foolish. I suspect the only way we can cultivate such trust is to have for ourselves some sort of encounter with the risen Christ. But how? Where? So I come from a Christian tradition that celebrates communion every week. This means, of course, that we always celebrate communion on Easter morning. The first time I approached the communion table and spoke the words of institution on Easter morning, I felt 
terribly awkward. It seemed so odd to revisit the treachery of the Last Supper when we were focused on the glory of the resurrection. I didn't want to take us back to the night that Jesus was betrayed. I didn't want to break the bread because it was such a painful image of how Jesus' body had been broken on Good Friday. Surely on Easter Sunday, as we celebrated the miracle of resurrection, we didn't need the sobering reminder of his betrayal, his suffering, his death. Yet it is at the table of communion that Easter finally reaches us. It is when we take, bless, break, and eat bread together that we encounter the risen Christ. No matter if we tried to walk away, no matter if our hope had slipped into past tense, Christ invites us to eat and drink with him. At this table, this table of radical hospitality at which all people are invited to partake, Our faith is renewed, our hope restored. The depth of his sacrifice and the glory of his new life are made real to us, and we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Even as we feast at the table of love and forgiveness in the presence of Christ himself, We can look back at where we've been and realize he was with us all along on the journey. In this sacred place, we receive all that we need to be Easter people. We welcome the stranger. We hear the sacred stories of scripture. And we break bread together. So may our hearts burn with recognition of the risen Christ among us. May we surrender our suspicions and accept his grace. And may we be a people who respond with our voices and our lives. Christ is risen indeed. Amen.